monster is coming. You're listening to The Watchers of Westeros. I am the king! A Game of Thrones podcast. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Fire cannot kill a dragon. Lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of a sheep. Also heard the phrase, Lannister always pays his debt. For the night is dark and full of terror. What good is power if you cannot protect the ones you love? We can avenge them. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Watchers of, of Westeros. <laughs> Nearly got the name wrong. This is the, you are in the right place. If you're looking for some good old fashioned Game of Thrones talk, we're talking about season five as a whole. We're going to look back on what worked, what didn't, where we, where we think it may go, and, uh, what are we, what are our expectations going into season six? It's going to be a great show. We're going to break the entire season down. Not just one episode, we're going to try and do a whole season. Although, helps when you've already talked about, uh, you know, every episode over the last 10 weeks, more or less. Uh, but we'll get into that right away. Uh, introductions are in order first, though. My name is Dominic, and joining me, as he always does, is my good friend and co-host, the award-winning Kieran Duggan. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, listeners. And thank you once again for that title of award-winning. Although... <laughs> I do feel that although I did win this award as a part of this team, the contribution that I personally gave to the expression T, but we all worked as a as a collaborative effort. Um, I don't know if I necessarily feel like it's still matched as the amount of work that you put into the Star Wars Underworld, bah, to be honest. So, bah. I mean, I, 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 I don't still... want to be pandering to you, Dominic, <laughs> but what I, I will I'm, say... I, I, I'm still award eligible. Like, if somebody wants to give me an award, I will greatly take it. So I, I, will, I will just throw <laughs> that out there. If you have an award... And you would like to give it to me or even nominate nominate me. I will gladly accept that. This reminds me of a, a TV program I was just watching uh, before the podcast started. It's a program called Yes Minister. There are other shows British... other than Game of Thrones? What? What is yeah, this? I know. It's, well, it's British, so you probably <laughs> haven't heard of it. Um, it's, it's a British comedy based around politics around the 1970s and the 1980s. And... There's this minister in it in particular, a person called Mr. Hackey. <laughs> uh, Jim Hackey, his name is. And he ends up having to um, donate some money to Oxford University. Um, mm. But he believes that doing that would be quite immoral. Uh, they don't deserve to receive this money. Yes. And then, this and then, the, and then the Oxford <laughs> hierarchy say to him, well, we're thinking of actually awarding a doctorate to either a judge or a politician such as yourself, <laughs> at which point the doctorate is offered to the minister and the minister then relinquishes any foolish ideas he had about not donating yes. money to so Oxford <laughs> University. I mean, I'm not saying that this is authentic, that this actually happens here in Britain, but the point is 
The minister received an award. He was he was eligible for it. Maybe he didn't even deserve it, but he took it with both hands. And so, Dominic, yeah. I'm not saying that you'll like this minister. I was going to say, the moral of this story is Oxford University, if you want to give me a PhD, I would gladly accept it. <laughs> well, it was only a doctorate of law. I don't, would you be happy with that, Dominic? Yeah, sure, why not? I could be a lawyer. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, he may be a lawyer in the real world, but I wouldn't want to be a lawyer in Game of Thrones, to be honest. Maybe. I don't think we'd last very long. Is, do they have, do they really have lawyers in Game of Thrones? Because it really seems like everybody's just kind of standing up for themselves. I mean, think back, we've only really seen one trial. I mean, most trials are trials by combat. And the only trial we've really seen is Tyrion's trial. And he was kind, kind of defending himself. And Tywin was kind of like the prosecutor and the judge. Like he I would feel like bring the law in... in Westeros, Dominic, is what you make it. Yes. If you're the one who's got the pointy sword, then I'm not <laughs> going to be arguing with you. Let's put it that way. That's true. So, I mean, th- I... works in different ways, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if I could be, you know, judge, jury, and executioner like that, I'd, I'd be all for it. I, you know, <laughs> I just, yeah, I just we, want we power here. to be entire win in this scenario. Yeah, so. I, w- I wouldn't. I... To well, be Tywin maybe not the part Lannister? Where you get killed on a crapper, but I, I, you know there are worse ways to go than that. You know, not many. Well, <laughs> there are. There I, are I don't know. I I take I take an arrow to the heart while on the crapper than being burned alive by uh, Melisandre. I mean, let's be honest. Okay, I'd, I'd probably agree with that. I, you know, but... most of the deaths this season, I, I I I you know I would take the arrow to the heart while while taking a dump then then you know being killed by a white walker and reanimated uh then being burned at the stake uh having your eyes jabbed out and then your throat slit like Arya did to sir Marin trant you know most of the most of those things i would uh i, I would you know those are not the ways i want to go you want to go a noble death yes <laughs> not the crapper, the crapper. <laughs> No, I'll tell you what, there is one way that's better. Oh, yes. Maester Eamon. Yes. You can just go peaceful. in your sleep. Peacefully, yes. Yes, that's that's. But true. he seems to be the anomaly in Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. Poor, poor guy. Yeah. He's the, well, I guess not poor guy. He's the, yeah, he's the lucky one. The yeah. lucky, lucky one. The lucky, lucky quote unquote. <laughs> to live at the well, wall. To have made it that far in life. Yeah, that's true. And not get stabbed or burnt alive or turned into a white walker. Especially while being at the wall. Yeah. It's especially especially important. Or killed by a wild link. He's done well with himself, I have to say. He's done very well. Yeah. And to think he could have been king. Wow. Could have been king. Could be worse, couldn't it? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, how different would Game of Thrones be if if, if Maester Aemond had had taken, taken the throne? when he had that opportunity. I mean, it'd be boring, really, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there would be... Uh, everyone would be living peacefully, yeah, wouldn't be, they? It would be a really like... nice story. It'd be really happy, and, and, and everybody would would be uh, together. Be all, everybody would be together. It'd be great. Yeah, I know, but it wouldn't be that I don't think HBO would want to make... I don't think HBO would want to make a show out of that. <laughs> no. Just, yeah, can't, they all just sit around and sing Kumbaya. It'd be, be yeah. lovely. Well, if HBO wants it, it would literally just be the brothel. Yeah. 
Yeah, the show would be wouldn't be called Game of Thrones. It'd be Littlefinger's Brothel. Yeah. <laughs> well, no more as we see in this season. But yeah. I guess we'll come on to that. We'll, we'll come get on to that. Yeah. Um, Should we kick off then? Yeah. My well, before we get into the season, I do want to mention uh, Game of Thrones at San Diego Comic Con. San Diego Comic Con is coming up in as of the time of recording about little, just a little over a week. Really, preview night is Wednesday, and we're recording this on or uh, is, is is a Wednesday night. We're recording this on a Monday, so it's like nine days between now and Comic Con. And uh, Game of Thrones will once again be in Hall H, uh, which is the massive, massive, you know, six to seven thousand seat uh, arena, or not really arena, or theater where they host the really big stuff. You know, Game of Thrones, Star Wars. Marvel in the past, DC, that kind of stuff. Uh, but the, the panel will be hosted by Seth Myers, who's, uh, who's a late night comedian, you know, late night with Seth Myers. He also did the great, uh, oh, it was fantastic. It was Jon Snow comes to dinner. That, that video from uh, earlier this year with Kit Harrington and, uh, yeah, hilarious stuff. But, uh, the confirmed members of the cast that will be in attendance at the Hall Age panel include Alfie Allen, Theon, uh, John Bradley, Sam, Gwendolyn Christie, Brienne of Tarth, Liam Cunningham, Sir Davos, Natalie Dormer, Marjorie Tyrell, Conleth Hill, Varys. Like, I, that, that, I, I don't know if I've ever seen that guy out of costume. You know, like most of these people, you see them at the red carpets and, and that kind of stuff. And you're like, oh, so that's what they look like when they're not dressed as a medieval warrior. That guy, I don't think that he's like ever been seen in public. <laughs> So he'll be on the he'll be on stage at Hall H. Hannah Murray plays Gilly, Sophie Turner, Sansa, Karis Van Houten, Melisandre, and Maisie Williams, who's Arya Stark. Uh, also will be joining joining them will be executive producer Carolyn Strauss and director David Nutter, who directed the final two episodes of season five. And this is taking place on Friday at two thirty PM in Hall H. And, uh, there is a very good chance I will wind up seeing this because I'm going to Comic Con to cover the, the Star Wars stuff. And in their immortal wisdom, the people who, uh, who set up, uh, Comic Con put all the Star Wars stuff on one day and they put the biggest one at the end, which makes sense until you realize that in order to see something in Hall H, you basically have to camp out all night and stay there all day. So it's a, it's a, it's a mixed bag for me because if I do have to do that and camp out all night and then just get in and then stay there all day, I'll get to see the Game of Thrones panel, which would be awesome, uh, in order to see the Force Awakens stuff and cover it and report on it for Star Wars Underworld. Uh, but it would also mean I would miss out on all the other Star Wars stuff. So I, I'm kind of, I, I'm kind of like half and half on this about whether I'm, whether I'm, I'm excited or, 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 or annoyed by it. I'm, I'm both. I'm both, uh, by, by this, by this news. But it's 2.30 p.m. in Hall H, right after The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead. So if you're into those shows, it's gonna be a great day. I think I need to binge watch Walking Dead between now and Comic Con. <laughs> yeah, watching, mate. Yeah. I'm halfway through season five. You oh, yeah. need to watch it. Oh, okay. Watch it's, it's well, incredible. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll I don't watch know if you the... managed to binge watch it. Uh, give it a go, I guess. Yeah, maybe I'll watch the pilot tonight. See what, see how it goes. Uh, but interesting, interesting. Some people who are uh, conspicuous by their absence from Comic Con include include George R. R. Martin, 
author of the Song of Ice and Fire books. Uh, he's apparently not going so that he can uh, work on writing The Winds of Winter, the next book. So I guess, you know, he didn't want to take a vacation this year. Uh, but also uh, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss are not in attendance. So the showrunners for the show will not be there. And also not there. Kit Harrington, Jon Snow, the dead man himself will not be there. Now, this has led to some interesting speculation <laughs> that, um, well, they don't want to be there because they don't want to be questioned about what happened because they're being very clear or very firm, shall we say, on the idea that Jon Snow is dead and they don't want to show up and then be asked by 7,000 people. Uh, including Seth Myers, who I'm sure is, has a lot invested in this as well, um, to, 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 for the answer for is, is Jon Snow alive? So, and so people are thinking this may be a hint that he is indeed alive. Is this reaching? Well, maybe if it weren't for the fact that Jon Snow is probably alive. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, but it, it, other, other panels that may be of interest on Saturday, I think, in, uh, in Hall H as well, they're doing the, uh, uh, women who kick ass panel. And I think that includes, uh, Gwendolyn Christie and Maisie Williams. So another one you may be, uh, Game of Thrones fans may be interested in. Uh, but let's, let's get into season five, what we're really here to talk about. And, and let's just start off this way. Overall. What did you think of season five? How do you think it stands up when compared to seasons one to four? Very good question. I think season five, when we look back at it in hindsight, is still a very solid and compelling season. When you look at the foundations of how this show started in season one, it was phenomenal the way that it was able to introduce a myriad of characters in a way which was clear to understand, comprehend, but also in a way which kept the audience hooked onto the show. And it's only expanded and continued to expand since then. I would say season five is probably my third favorite season Ooh, okay how uh, yeah. rank, rank the seasons for me okay number one for me would be <laughs> season four okay i think season four was the best season then i'd go with season one then i'd go with season five then season two and then season three season three at the at the bottom for you in although the red wedding was absolutely fantastic i the season as a whole before that point when it when it was leading up to episode nine i it wasn't as intriguing as it could have been Ooh. that's my point of view All but right. what, how, how would how would you rank the season rank, the rank season? this season in comparison <laughs> rank this season well i would i would definitely put this season at the uh at the bottom and then i would probably go so so one would be so number so top of the list probably be season season two I really liked season two. I thought season two was really interesting with, with Tyrion as Hand of the King and, and all that stuff and culminating with the Battle of Blackwater. So I, I really liked, so I'd say put season two. Then 
season three second i i i was pretty intrigued by season three even all from the beginning all the way through the red wedding then i i flip flop between four and one for the next spot you know i i because i really like them i i do i do and 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 so i, I kind of not sure which one i would put ahead of the other one i i might put i, I might put Put one ahead of four, just because I, I the the twist at the end uh, was unbeatable. But season but season four was was so much more of a consistent uh, consistent thrill ride. Whereas there was a lot. Whereas season one was really the ramp up to everything that would happen in future seasons, culminating or really kicking off with the chopping off of Ned's head. So that, I guess I would go. So this would be two, three, four, one, five, I think. <laughs> that's that's how I would rank them. Okay, well if you get a base it on that ranking, yeah. Why is season five the lowest on your list? I think season five is for me. I, I think it was Game of Thrones kind of got caught up in its own success, and at times went for trying to shock the audience. Instead of telling a more complete story, because I look at some of the storylines that seemed to just kind of be dropped and that was, and to me, I, I feel like some of those were, were kind of interesting because, you know, I look at season five and it, it is tonally different from the other seasons, I would say. And I think that's due in large part to the fact that season four, the end of season four was such a, you know, a, a turning point in the, the his history, the internal history of, of Westeros with the death of Tywin Lannister. It kind of leaves this power vacuum at the top. And even though there's not technically a war going on, you're kind of dealing with the aftermath of the previous war while anticipating the next one. Because you're just not sure when somebody is going to strike for, you know, try and get Tommen. Try and dethrone the Lannister Baratheon. Really, the Lannister uh, attempted dynasty there. And so when you're kind of waiting on that, you're waiting on that while at the same time you're trying to deal with the repercussions of the last the last three seasons, really. Which have been an all-out war, basically. You know, season two and season three were. They they told the story of the War of the Five Kings. It was a massive civil war in Westeros. And so you deal with – you're dealing with the kind of the the fallout from that. And so some of the things like the the crown being in debt and that and that sort of thing were kind of dropped in favor of moments that seemed to be, seemed to be there more to shock the audience than to uh, advance the story. And you combine that with this season, I also think they spent a lot of time telegraphing those moments to the audience a lot more than they did in previous seasons. Uh, you know, you look at the two biggest surprises or the two, you know, the two moments that people talk about the most on this show, Death of Ned and the Red Wedding. Those worked because they were 
especially the death, death of Ned, were set up in the in a way that you expected someone to swoop in and save the day, but no one ever did. With the Red Wedding, there was a little bit of telegraphing it to the audience with the whole uh, "we'll name the, the you know Rob and Talisa will will name the the baby." Uh, Eddard Stark. So there's a little bit of hinting there, but this season especially, you had countless scenes between Shireen Baratheon, uh, Shireen, yeah, Shireen Baratheon and, and Stannis and, and Davos, and you're just kind of you're spending all of this time, and it's like, oh crap, there's something <laughs> that girl is doomed. And then you also spent so much time with Ollie, and he would there was the camera would focus on him as he would as he glared at Jon Snow from across the way <laughs> and, and and that kind of stuff was sort of like okay something something's off with this kid something bad is going to happen and so I think the combination of those two things kind of led to some of the big surprises not being quite as dramatic as they have been in the past they were still impactful they still carried meaning but I, I didn't feel the same level of, oh, my God, what just happened as you have in the past. It, it, does that make sense? Yeah, I I do understand that sentiment. It was, as the phrase, the phrase you used there, a little bit more telegraphed, sadly. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit more obvious of what they were trying to do. Um, but... At the same time, I didn't necessarily expect Jon Snow to bite the dust at the end of this season. I think it was more the timing that was surprising than the event itself. For me, per- not not now when we look back in hindsight, but from initial viewing. Mm-hmm. It's the same way that when the Red Wedding happened, initially you are shocked. And even though they named the child Ned... Maybe I was just slow, but it didn't, I didn't really read into too much about that as saying, oh, well, they're going to kill them all off now. It was like, <laughs> oh, this is nice. This yeah. is a nice sentiment. Sure. Um, because they just talked about the plans of attacking Casterly Rock. And you're thinking, oh, it's looking up now for the Starks. And, and it's a little bit like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And Well, yeah, that, that's like, kind and, of and, it. And, and in this case, though, that as you that is really applicable to this season isn't yeah it? absolutely i i think that's it i think it's kind of, the show was kind of a victim of its own success this year you know because there was that kind of you know fool me once shame on you okay so that's the death of ned now it's fool me twice so shame on me and so now it's like okay you can never fool me again so we're going to look a little bit more closely at these uh these ideas and the other thing that's that's really interesting that's going on here and i think it's 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 uh it's 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 interesting and it's kind of unique to this show is that they're working from the ad they're they're adapting something as it's being written and and sure that's happened before with with things like harry potter and 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 that kind of stuff but this is a, a you know far more complex story than harry potter in the sense that there are so many more characters and there's so much more going on you know harry potter was a a, a story about a select group of characters for the most part, whereas Game of Thrones is a whole massive world of uh, of characters. I'm not dissing Harry Potter. Love Harry Potter. It's one of my favorite favorite book series of all time. No lie. Um, but uh, you know, in, in this series, they're they're kind of so they're tr- having to focus in on, on certain elements to make the TV show, and then they get to a point here where they're like, oh, 
crap, we have to do this to Shireen. Now we have to make her, you know, we have to make the death feel impactful. So when stuff, we didn't have time to really make stuff happen naturally in, in past seasons. And, and they did a bit of stuff with her, but they, you know, she was one of those characters that never quite got the amount of screen time she necessarily deserved. Um, you know, they, they kind of felt like, okay, now we kind of have to give you a bunch of scenes with her to make you understand why burning her alive is, is horrible and why it's this massive decision and, and blah, 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 blah. And I think one, they didn't necessarily need that. I think we, we kind of got a, a bit about a, a sense of, of her connection with or her, relationship with davos in past seasons so i, I didn't think we need to spend as much time there and really the one scene that, that i thought you know we could have stopped with that was the the stannis scene but I, I think they kept giving us scenes like that sort of reminding you okay see this this character she's she's loved by everybody she's she's loved by everybody and now we're going to kill her and, and sort of you know again it's the victim of its own success as soon as we see somebody who you know, it's that old, that whole meme about the show. Don't, as soon as you have a favorite character, well, that character is going to die. Yeah, I agree with that. And in a way, it's sometimes it can seem to be a little bit too obvious about, about what's going to happen with regards to that, mm -hmm. the particular season. Or in this case, season five, because we're now so used to expecting the unexpected. Yeah. Whereas before, in season three, we weren't. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, we'd seen, as you said, Ned Stark's head chopped off, but we weren't so caught up in the idea of what has now become episode nine as the big episode. They changed right. it in fairness to them this season. Yeah. Because I think episode eight was the big season, really. For yeah number five but before that you'd obviously had ned stark's head chopped off at episode nine of season one season two the battle of blackwater season three the red wedding season four the battle of the wall yeah. so you had either massive battles or big shocks this one in, in a way it kind of did in episode nine with obviously the daenerys and jorah stuff with the with the fighting pits but yeah i think we can all agree that it was really hard home Yes. where it hit us hard, no pun intended. <laughs> or maybe it well, was intended. I, I, I think that, that Hard Home and the shock of Hard Home is that it, it kind of was a throwback to these other surprises that the show has thrown our way in that it wasn't – we didn't spend all season focusing on it. We were kind of distracted from it by this whole idea of, okay, well, there's the Battle of Winterfell. That's going to be our, our big thing. And while that turned out to be – I mean, let's be honest, a, a touch of a disappointment after a underwhelming. Whole, yeah, underwhelming. Yeah, that's a good, better word. You know, after a whole season of build up to it, hard home, you know, we were expecting a tense showdown between the wildlings and the night's watch. Instead, we got uh, a, a glimpse into the future, essentially, of, you know, this is what is coming for Westeros when we saw the, the Night King and the White Walkers and, and all of that. That, that was sort of, that was almost more of a surprise in some way, some ways than even 
Jon Snow getting stabbed. I mean, when you look back on it, I mean, yeah, they talked about the the White Walkers and stuff, but they've been talking about that since season one. That's not something we've ever really had to be too, too concerned about. We've never really seen an army like that attack. And then when we see it attack, it, it kind of, you know, changes our perspective on everything, much in the same way that Ned having his head chopped off did, or Rob being stabbed through the heart by Roose Bolton did. You know, that kind of stuff was... It, it, it changed the, the the game and it was coming out of a different – it came out of left field when normally you expect, uh, you know, the Game of Thrones shock to not be a big battle but re- rather, you know, a smaller character moment. And as a result, in the past, the, the character moments have outweighed the battles. This season, the battle outweighed the character moments, I think. Yeah, I w- – in some instances, I could agree. There are some other characters, though, I did think had big seasons. Sure. And I actually propose a new way of perhaps reviewing <laughs> season five, which might make it a little bit, a little bit different. I'm kind of being spontaneous here, Dominic, so you're going to okay. have to bear with All me right. on this now. But what I've decided I thought would be quite a good idea is I've got a number of categories lined up. Okay. And in a way, I want you to give an answer to these <laughs> categories and um some of them i i can already guess what your answers will be others i'll be i'll be quite interested in so are we all right if we throw this up a little all bit right. yeah let's do this well i've gone for kind of it was in an awards ceremony <laughs> atmosphere what would you nominate as the best storyline of the season so when i say storyline I'm predominantly thinking about the character, character arc. It doesn't sure. have to be just one character, but for example, you could say the wall or what's going on in Marine. What, what would you say is your best, that was the best storyline of season five? Jon Snow. Definitely. Yeah? I, I would definitely Why? say, because I, I think he kind of had the most intriguing arc that was followed through on. You know, we, he was set up at the beginning of this season having, you know, of rising through the ranks to be the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch because he had different ideas and because he was this new young voice. And then he was faced with the challenge of, okay, now he is that new voice. Well, maybe people don't want him to be quite as extreme as, as he wants to. And when I say extreme, I don't mean, you know, like extremists, like kill everybody. I mean, extreme as in let's go out and make peace with the wildlings. And so they set that up. They followed through on it where, you know, he, he met the wildlings. He saw firsthand why he was doing this. And then because he did all of these good things that were counter or, you know, were against what the night night's watch has traditionally been. He was killed for it. Uh, for for the time being and and for that reason i i think the sort of his story began in an interesting place and ended in a, in a sort of a, a natural progression of that when you look at all of the different characters that he's surrounded by and and where he is and you know there isn't really a lot of rational thought at the wall you know he was sort of the only one him and sam were really the only ones who were thinking about this rationally every and and, and Mr. Raymond Mr. Raymond too everybody else even even ed you know, he was kind of going along with John because they were friends. He 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 wasn't in favor of this either. So I I think for me, Jon Snow's was by far the most satisfying of all the stories. You know, he we saw him 
you know, be the character we want him to be and be punished for it because, you know, he's a, he's a hero in a, in a world where really there aren't heroes. Mm. What, what about for you? What would you say was the most, your favorite, uh, storyline from season five? It's, it is a very tough one to choose, Reed. I like your one about the wall. It was compelling, but I wouldn't say it was my favorite storyline. Had you asked me around the time of episode four, I would probably have said the Littlefinger Sansa storyline, because at the beginning yeah. of this season, I found that so interesting. Absolutely. And I was really looking forward to some payoff there, uh, particularly if the story had evolved in a way where Sansa would have been able to manipulate Ramsay or manipulated him against Roose Bolton and in a way um, routed out the Boltons from the inside, so to speak, rather than, and then, you know, Stannis can finish it off, so to speak. However, uh, we're going to come on perhaps to my least favourite storyline later, but <laughs> that one certainly got a way of fitting in there. Uh, but sadly, that one didn't really live up to its full potential. What I would say did live up to quite a good bit of potential for me was the King's Landing stuff. Mm. I really enjoyed the High Sparrow and the Cersei stuff yes. when I look at it as a whole. Oh, for sure. At the time, it was a little bit jarring, I, I understand, um, particularly the third episode entitled High Sparrow, where you know, we've seen in the last two episodes, Lancel Lannister's returned, Kevin's returned, and Cersei, she's trying to really cement her position of power by appointing sycophants to the position of the small council, the likes of Mace Tyrell, um, Kyburn, of course, is a loyal comrade now, Pycelle, Kevin... Um, but and then we see the introduction of, of course, Jonathan Price's character, who's the highest sparrow in this, and it really does make the story far more complex and complicated. It wasn't now just um, Marjorie Tyrell and Tommen. It's uh, to, also to think that towards the end of the season, they don't really play a big part in this anymore, but they did have a big part at the beginning of this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she was queen in all in effect, oh, Marjorie yeah. Tyrell. She had all the power and it slowly was taken away from her. Um, as we see later with the, um, in the Sons of the Harpy episode, wherein the, the faith militant, um, apprehend Loris Tyrell, taking prisoner. Um, and then you've got Marjorie Tyrell calling upon Elena to return, but it doesn't actually fall in the way that they thought it was going to, in the sense that Lena would return and suddenly the Tyrells would reassert their position of power. Nope, Marjorie's been imprisoned, Loris is still in prison, and at the moment, Lena's looking to Littlefinger for guidance. So it's... It, it, and, and then afterwards, Cersei, that was one of the big shocks of episode seven when the tables turned on her, um, and then she had to do a walk of atonement. It really just was so captivating when you think about it. And really, we see a. Ma- they talks about uh, David Benoff and DB Wise about how Cersei would play an integral role in this season. And I think we can all agree that she has. When we look at the beginning of the season, when we see the flashback of her as a child, looking over the, and then looking at over the dead body of her father, um, and now she's doing this walk of atonement, walk of shame. She's been stripped down. The gold's been taken away from her, 
um, she's no longer the one in power. At the beginning of the season, she was the one saying to the highest scepter, no, they will all wait for me. I want to see my father first. At the end of it, you know, people are throwing tomatoes at her, um, and she's bleeding and she's walking through the streets. It's suddenly a massive turnaround, isn't it, from where we saw her at the start of the season. And, and when we later come on to predictions, I think for me it was one of the far more compelling. I don't know if you would necessarily agree with that. Oh, absolutely. I think Cersei's story this season was was definitely the most compelling she's ever been. I think it was really interesting to watch her trying to, trying to navigate this stuff on her own. You know, it's, it goes back to what I talked about at the beginning where this season, you know, we're kind of dealing with a bit of a power vacuum because Tywin is gone. There's nobody to control everybody else. There's no sort of empty, there's no, there's no ruler up on high because even the king is not all that powerful. And so you're seeing, you know, various people try and, and get power and, and push their agenda. And I, I thought that was really interesting with Cersei and the High Sparrow, how they both thought they were playing each other or how they were both playing each other. Or at least she thought she was playing him when really he was playing her. Uh, I And, you know, to push his his whole idea of, you know, faith being the main uh, thing that people focus on in, in, in Westeros, the main reason for ruling, while also, you know, pointing by pointing out that the the royals and the the nobility were not infallible that they could sin just like everybody else and so i i thought all of that was fascinating for me the the trouble with what happened in king's landing is what you said about marjorie and tommen and so many of these other characters they were very important at the beginning and they just kind of disappeared and this is you know the 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 disadvantage that game of thrones has of having such a a vast and wonderful cast is that you want to see more from these characters and you're constantly wanting to see more and wanting to know what happens and and, why, and even just the world wanting to know what happens in this world and, and how it's working. And, and in order to streamline line some of these stories, you don't always get to focus in on, uh, you know, Marjorie and Tom and Loras and, and, and all that kind of stuff or how the realm is going to pay for what is going on and, you know, like that's something I thought would be more of a, a big deal of, you know, we're, we're dealing with the aftermath of a war here. There's, and we're dealing with the aftermath of the war and the oncoming apocalyptic winter and the crown is in massive debt. And, you know, that's sort of one of the more political areas of, of Game of Thrones that, you know, we've dealt with in the past. You know, that's not, it's not something that's foreign to the show. And it was very important at the beginning of the season. Uh, but it was never really picked up again. And instead of being something that drove the story in a sense that it, you know, kept things interesting, it became more of a, just a way to get character from point A to point B so that big events could happen. You know, it was that kind of thing where instead of really feeling like we were dealing with the ramifications of, of war and the, the, realities of it and that's something that i think is really interesting about this show and that they're they're willing to do that they're willing to show what happens after the war is is really interesting and they didn't quite have time for it because they were focusing in on on so many other stories you almost wonder if this season could have been 13 episodes or 15 episodes and i know that would you know stress the budget and the time 
constraints and all of that kind of thing. And I know there's all kinds of practical real world re- reasons why HBO and, and David Benioff and, and Dan Weiss that, that they can't do that. But you almost wonder if they had have had a little bit more time and they could have found ways to, you know, put certain characters into have episodes focus in only on certain characters and but really focus in on them instead of having one scene with each character in, in every episode, more or less, and then trying to piece them together after that. If you could have allowed for some of these bigger stories that were pulled off brilliantly, I, I do agree that these big stories, Jon Snow, Cersei, e- even Danny's story, although, although I think that one stumbled a little bit at, at certain points, uh, but th- I think they were pulled off very nicely. And they set up things very interestingly for next season. They continued from where they left off. And I think it just kind of, there were moments in there where we, we needed to focus in on a little bit more of the, the minutia almost because, you know, that's something the show has always done. And it, it felt strange to kind of ignore it, uh, at times this season. If you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. No, I, completely understand where you're coming from there but the Cersei stuff was was fantastic it really really was i i agree that the Jon snow and cersei were the top two i would say in terms of the the storylines this season i think there were other storylines which had the potential to be Mm -hmm. up there with the best as i'd alluded to earlier the sansa storyline the stannis storyline there was potential and and the danny stuff but and even the dawn stuff yeah, but it it never reached it, and I guess that nicely interlinks to the inverse of this question, then. <laughs> and that's going to be what was the the weakest storyline? And I'll I'll let you have a little bit of a rant yeah. if you want on this well, one because I, I know I that to... <laughs> I I have an idea of what this one's going to be. Yeah, well, I, I hate to go for the easy target, but but I think the stuff Do that it. went down in in Dorn was was really poorly handled. There was, uh, I think, really until we got to episode nine, when, or episode eight or nine, whenever Jamie was sitting down with with Prince Doran there, that you know, a, a, that those moments there, where they're trying to work out this truce between the the crown and and, and the people of Dorne, I thought that was really good, and I thought that was, you know, that was what the show where the show really excelled, where it didn't excel was in getting us there uh you know this whole foolhardy mission of, of going in there to to try and rescue quote unquote marcella and while the sand snakes who were uh, underwritten shall we say um were trying to kill her and, and it, it just kind of felt like it was a bit jumbled and some ideas weren't fully formed or they weren't adapted from the book the books as as well as they could have been or or maybe they weren't fully formed ideas in the books i you know they they just couldn't quite get that to work and i think that was really signified in the uh in the the showdown in the water gardens where even the choreography and game of thrones has had some spectacular choreography and we saw it in in hard home and in other sequences this season there's been some really great choreography, but even there in, in, in the water garden showdown, it was, was poorly choreographed. It was poorly paced. It was poorly shot and poorly edited. It was, it was not a, a, that was easily the worst scene of the entire series. 
Now that being said, I, I do think the, the Jamie and Doran stuff is some of the best stuff from the series. So it was kind of one of those things where you had the, the stuff at the beginning and the stuff at the end of that storyline, I think worked quite nicely. I, th- I thought Jamie going off on the Hardy mission with, with Braun was kind of interesting. I, I thought that was an interesting sort of take on that character uh, and very different from where he started um, and shows sort of, you know, again, how, he, you know, one, it shows his love for his sister and, and love, love for his sister. And it also shows how, you know, without Tywin's influence, he's almost a loose cannon. He's just going to go off and, and, and do whatever. And we saw that a little bit in season one, you know, when he just showed, he just faced off with Ned Stark in the, in the streets of King's Landing. And then as soon as he did that, he ran off to, to, to Tywin. Tywin's like, you shouldn't have done that, dumbass. <laughs> you know, he was sort of saying, don't do that. And then Tywin sort of kept him on a short string and then he was imprisoned. And, and we sort of, we see that he kind of has these foolhardy, uh, hardy tendencies. And now that Tywin isn't there, he's, you know, nobody's there to stop him from doing these things. And so I, so all of that was good. It was just kind of the stuff in the middle didn't quite play out very well. And I don't think the sand snakes were very well written. Uh, nothing against the actresses who, who played them. It just didn't quite work out as well as it could have. I think there was a lot of potential there. And I think that it shows in the way in the setup and the wind down from that stuff, the potential that was there that was just missed in the middle. It seemed like one of those storylines, the Sand Snakes, which you, you just didn't really know what the whole purpose was of it. <laughs> I mean, it. I understand in a way it was more furthering the character arc of, of Jamie Lannister um, and, and Bronn. It was supposed to. I I was hoping that it would introduce us to Dawn, and we would be able to see public opinion, the leader, enacting retribution against what happened with Oberyn Martell. But in effect, what you had were four individuals who did not make any well-conceived plans. So the Sand Snakes, the same way that Jamie Lannister and Bronn didn't really have a plan when they were going to Dawn. It it was it was a little bit of a mess, and it pains me to say that with Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but as we said, the storyline had potential. It really did, because well, I mean, if Marcella had either died earlier in the season, or if the whole of Dawn had risen up and captured Jamie Lannister and he was put on trial or something like that, would that not have been a little bit more exciting and compelling? And as you say, I think part of the difficulty was that the payoff came too late. Yeah. I mean, it it wasn't much of a payoff, but had that scene with Marcella happened in the water garden scene, water garden scene, I think we would all have a bit of a different view about where that storyline would progress. And also, if it did happen at the water garden scene, then you've got another four episodes of which you could develop that storyline further. Yeah. It was a bit of a prolonged dull fest really wasn't it yeah. sad to say yeah um, so, it wasn't really handled as well as it could have been yeah there there uh, yeah again there was potential there and they they just couldn't pull it off i i think in in a way that was satisfactory it, it can't yeah it came across as as four people who were uh hell-bent on revenge and so much so that they didn't quite think their plan 
through uh, very well if you know if, if they had of poisoned Marcella in, instead of Braun in the Water Gardens, we could have avoided what was ultimately the most pointless scene of season five. Got but us. also, even then, that scene with Braun in the cell, it it was a a well acted scene. I thought that it was a relatively enjoyable scene, but in the grand scheme of things the only purpose it really served was to remind people about the poison Mm -hmm. but couldn't we have done that a different way or done that earlier on in the season and then just had marcella yeah bite the dust earlier it it didn't seem really necessary it seemed that storyline in particular could have been filled up a lot quicker and that could have given room for other story arcs to develop and you were saying dominic weren't you that there were some story arcs which really didn't advance in all of the directions it could have done. So, for example, with the King's Landing, King's we Landing. didn't see much Sansa, of Tomlin and, and uh, Marjorie at the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We could have seen more of that. We could have seen more of the the, the politics and the economics of, of, of Westeros, which, you know, sounds boring. But, I mean, we've already seen four seasons where they've dealt with that pretty pretty well. Uh, so I, I think that would have been interesting to deal with. They could have spent more time with Sansa because, uh, you know, that's something you mentioned that in the beginning of this season, her story was by far one of the most interesting. And then you got to Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken. And she was all of a sudden reverted back to the character we had watched, the victim who, who was, who was stuck as a victim for so long. And we, well, we got glimpses of the character we had hoped to see when she would speak to Theon, you know, those moments would kind of get lost in the rest of the episode because there wasn't enough time for them to breathe, to to really focus mm. in on it, to show the importance of them. And so she, again, she just came across as the victim who was begging for help from Theon. You know, she came across as the damsel in distress, for lack of a better term. And, and as a result, I think that's why that storyline was kind of disappointing to a lot of people is because again she started off you know all when when Littlefinger was in Winterfell it started off she was being built up to be this character and then it took this hard right turn and all of a sudden she was back to where we always knew she was or where we had always known her to be and that that wasn't as interesting as as seeing the character we had we had hoped she would become and seeing the glimpses of that and and then again when even when we got glimpses of it it was one it was only really one moment and that moment ultimately just didn't have the the time it needed it we didn't get get the focus it deserved in an episode and you know if if we had spent less time in in Dorne perhaps we wouldn't have uh have felt that way it would have felt more uh appropriate it would have felt more like okay this is like a glimpse into what her future could be she could manipulate people somewhat and even then it was wasn't quite i I think it wasn't quite what people expected from her they were expecting her to become Littlefinger 2.0 and all she really got was was theon to admit that uh he had he hadn't killed braun or (laughs) bram He hadn't killed Braun. Oh, good. Theon didn't kill Braun. No, he hadn't killed Bran and Rickon, and and even that, you know, it's not quite a not quite a little fingery move. You know what I mean? Yeah. And 
I think the general consensus amongst Game of Thrones fans would be that those two storylines in the end were the weakest, which was the Dawn storyline and in the end the Winterfell storyline, which was a shame because both of them had the potential to be so much more than they actually were. And at the beginning, they were built up to be something really big Mm-hmm. And it really just didn't match people's expectations. Yeah, and I, I hate to say it, but the payoff on both storylines, I don't think, was enough. Oh, for, uh, absolutely for their seasons worth. So absolutely. Marcella died at the end of the season, and Miranda died at the end of the season. I'm sorry, but those were two relatively dispensable characters because we'd never seen Marcella um, in a full character mode or. Uh, we hadn't seen much of her prior to season five. We'd seen the glimpses in season two, but she never really had any speaking parts. And as far as Miranda goes, yeah, okay, no one liked her, but people wanted to see Sansa or Theon do that to Ramsay. Yeah. Not to Miranda. They, for a whole season's worth, it seemed far too prolonged, didn't it? Yeah. And, and ultimately, I think the, the thing about Sansa there was, you know, she didn't get, she still hasn't gotten her, her vengeance. You know, that's something that we were kind of building to this season. And even, you know, taking out Ramsey, Ramsey uh, Bolton there would have been at least a step in that direction. And, or even if she had, if she had been the one to kill Miranda, then that would may have even been a step in that direction. But ultimately, because it was Theon, you know, Sansa's big moment, her, her, victory in this season for lack of a better term which was again uh getting theon to admit that brand and rickon were still alive it, it it felt you know it felt almost secondary to theon's big moment and not to say that theon shouldn't get his big moment but the two of them they didn't quite their storylines didn't quite mesh as well as they could have i i think there's potential there and hopefully they explore that this season to have those two, uh, you know, come to, to work together and to have Sansa, you know, really come into her own where, where we were hoping she would this season. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, and I, I will say though, I, I do think Marcella's death, uh, that one I thought worked quite well for me i think it was a, a fitting ending to that to that storyline and i think it shows what they were trying to do and, and just didn't quite accomplish because you can sort of see how you look at that season you can sort of see how it was meant to go it was meant to show that you know people were were capable of you know wh- even when people were capable of, of doing good of working together it's kind of the john snow story of you know we're, we're almost seeing a hero in in the story in, in Prince Doran, or Doran, and then all of his work is undermined by Ilaria there, you know, she, because she wanted revenge for Oberyn. You know, we're, we're sort of seeing these characters who try to do the right thing and having everything they do be undermined, and, and that is sort of the, the tragedy of, of Doran and, and and Jon Snow. Although Doran's still alive, whereas Jon Snow took multiple daggers to the heart before you know at the end of his story so i I think again you saw the potential there in that storyline in the beginning and the end it's just the middle didn't quite work and the sand snakes didn't quite work as well as they could have yeah i can definitely see that perspective 
We'll move on to another category now. So <laughs> I'm liking these categories and we're talking quite a lot about them. So I'm going to throw you an intriguing question, which is linked on to characters. Now, before I start looking at the main characters that we all know and love, I want to ask you to answer the question of which do you think was the best newcomer? Best newcomer? Oh. Ah, his Darzolarak. I mean, that guy. No, no. Um, the best newcomer. Interesting. There weren't all that many newcomers this season. There weren't. Do you want me to run through the names of them? Well, to help you out, I would, or do you, I, you, or know, do you easily, think you know? I, really the answer? There's, there's one. There's, there's one correct answer, and that's the High Sparrow. I mean, that guy really was um, one of the most interesting characters. He, he really. You know, we talked about when we talked about the Cersei storyline, you know, she thought she was playing him. And then in episode seven, he turns the table on her and you realize he's been playing her the whole time. And I thought his conversation with uh, Lady Olena was also very well done. I mean, uh, Jonathan Price and, and Diana Riggs there, the two of them, two powerhouses really going at it in that scene, I thought – it, it was brilliantly pulled off. I think the High Sparrow is a, a, a highlight of this season. Um, not, you know, he's not a, he's not necessarily a good guy, but he's also not necessarily a bad guy either. You, know, you can disagree with a lot of what he does, while also agreeing with a lot of what he does. So I, I think there's a, a, a fair, a, you know, there's kind of this interesting balance that got struck there, and I think Jonathan Price did an, an amazing job capturing that. Jonathan Price, I, it's a hard one to to top, I have to say. Yeah. And I feel that, although I don't always like to agree, I, I will on this case. <laughs> it's Well, you're looking at the newcomers, and I think the prospect was there. Um, I was really excited before this season to see Doran Martell, for example, I really wanted I, to see. I think he lived the up new Martels. to. I thought he lived up to to uh, as well. I think he. Oh no! I thought I thought he played very well. But yeah. if we look at the best newcomer, oh, it's yeah. very difficult to eclipse Jonathan Price's performance. Yeah. In terms of how well Dora Martel did, I, I don't necessarily. He say gets he a solid silver medal. I think he gets a a, a good a good solid second place. Yeah. Well, what about Tristan? Well, <laughs> third place. He gets the bronze. <laughs> only, snake. only first. <laughs> no. Tristan gets the bronze for having that guy punch, uh, punch Braun in the face. As <laughs> not that I don't like Braun, but I thought that was one of the uh, a really great comedic moment for the, for this season. And it yeah, was nice I... to see somebody other than than Tyrion get a little comedy. Yeah, exactly. You know, sometimes um, Tyrion kind of becomes the go-to for for comedy, and you know, it was good to see him with a little bit more range this season. Season because Peter Dinklage is is a phenomenal actor, and I think they gave him a little bit more to do than just be the funny the funny guy, um, which he can do uh, very well. And and not to say that he was only the funny guy in the past, but they they kind of shied away from that almost at times this season when he was kind of depressed at the beginning and then in these interesting situations with, with Jorah and then he was forced to be serious with Danny. And I thought that was all very well done. Yeah. I, I would 
concur with that. Those two are definitely the best. Doran Martel and the High Sparrow. Yeah. Um, I also want to give special mention to Walter Bolton's son, which is uh, about to be coming mm. our way very soon. <laughs> <He's> the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? He's, he's technically a new character, Dominic. Sure. I, I mean... We haven't seen him yet, but... <laughs> <laughs> I I jest, of course. We, yeah. that, uh, I thought I did think in fairness that the way the Sand Snakes were portrayed, and along with Tristane and the actor for Marcella, yeah, you know, I I didn't necessarily think it was the the, fourth, the actor or, or the cast. I think it was sadly that the storylines just were weren't that exciting or compelling. It's uh, it's sad to say, but you know, as much, we we love this show so much that. I think sometimes we can be have a tendency to be a little bit overcritical, but sure. I think that we aren't in this case. No, um, those sadly um, were storylines which can be improved upon. Hopefully, I, I, next yeah. And, season. And you mentioned it's not the acting, and I, I think want to highlight. I, I don't know her name off the top of my head, but the the young woman who plays Marcella. There's one scene in particular. Uh, Nell Tiger Freeze. Nell Tiger Freeze. Yeah, uh, when uh, it's that scene we were talking about, the best scene in the whole Doran storyline when Jamie. And, and Doran, you know, have their conversation. And just the way she was sitting when she was sitting with, uh, with Tristane and she was so clearly, you could tell just from her body language where her true allegiances lied. Like no matter, you know, if something bad were to happen to Jamie in that moment, you know, she was, she was definitely conveying the fact that she was on the side of the, of the Martells and that she wanted to be part of uh, of that of the Dorn culture, and I think that that moment, I think that just that one moment, that just the leading back, just the way she was sitting, uh, really conveyed a lot about that character. Yeah, and well, she's gone now, sadly. Yeah. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see the impact and repercussions of her death. But we'll come on to predictions at the at the end of this show. Yes. Okay, so we've looked at the best newcomer. Let's go on to the main cast now, and we're just going to go into this particular category for the last one based on characters. I want you to answer what was the most, or who, in your mind, was the most compelling character? And we can say how well the actor played it, but I've got another category for best actor and actress, so we'll come (laughs) on to most compelling character. Yeah, I I mean... uh... I, I think I think this season it was was Tyrion. I, I think I, you know not nothing against uh, Cersei or Jon Snow or, or, or Stannis or any of those characters who I think were all very compelling. And you know we've mentioned the storylines of, of Cersei and, and, and Jon and, and 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 even Doran, you know, as, as being compelling. And, and the characters have to to be compelling for the storylines to work. But I think just sort of this journey that Tyrion went on from. You know, the end of, uh, of season four, where he was so close to, you know, basically sticking it to Tywin, uh, you know, in, in the sense that, you know, he was going to win, you know, Oberon was going to win his trial by combat. He would be free. His name would be cleared. He would be able to, you know, be a big middle finger to Tywin to then, you know, uh, murdering his father and then having to come to terms with the fact that, you know, one, he murdered his father. But also the fact that he murders his father because his father 
did not like him and, and did not trust him and, and did not want him around. And so he's basically, he's forced to come to terms with the fact that, you know, he, he, he was so hated in, in Westeros. And then he had, you know, it's up to Varys to convince him, you know, you have to come and, and, and meet this, this dragon queen and, and you have skills that could help her. And, you know, to sort of go from, having no interest in this and, and just being this depressed character at the beginning of the season to being, uh, you know, a, a key advisor to, to Danny and then ruler of Marine at the end of the season, I thought was a, a very compelling, uh, storyline for him. Uh, and it was very different from what we, what we've seen before, because now he was sort of dealing with his own demons where in the past he was constantly forced to face, off with people all around him and he could kind of bury his own demons. Whereas this season, they all had to come to the force forefront because he was not surrounded by anybody who didn't like him anymore. Now he was surrounded by people who needed him around, even you know, whether it was Varys, even Jorah, and then, and then Danny. And, and, and so he was kind of forced to face those demons. You know, he calls himself the greatest Lannister killer of all time. That's kind of difficult for a Lannister to admit. You have to think. And so I, I think his character character arc from the drunk drunken dwarf who doesn't want to live anymore to um interim ruler of Marine and advisor to the future queen is a was a fascinating one. So I, I, I really have to highlight Tyrion's story for this season. How about you? Yeah. I I I'm very happy you said Tyrion now. Um certainly one of those characters that because it's now become quite subsumed with Daenerys' storyline, can sometimes be neglected a little bit. But as you said there, the way that Tyrion now has risen from just this drunken dwarf who clearly had no real ambition after he killed his father, he killed his lover as well. Um, he was in a, in a complete disheartened state. And now he is a key advisor to the Dragon Queen, ruling Marine, hopefully with the help of Varys. And his story has really evolved well this season. Definitely one of the most compelling. For me, however, it may be no shock that I'm going to go for this particular character, but I'm going to be saying Littlefinger. Really? Because I, I felt this season Littlefinger's story kind of got pushed to the back burner. Well, I'll say my point, and then I'll look forward to hearing your reply. But for me, I do think Littlefinger's story was <coughs> one of the most compelling of the season. We look at where it started. He was, of course, anointed Lord of the Vale already. We knew that. And um, remember, he was delivered that scroll while he was sitting down watching Lord... Robin Aaron. <laughs> yeah, whatever to, happened to that Trying to play military season. combat. He's probably still given up and they just let him stay there. But the point yeah. is, he looked completely hopeless there. Yeah. So, started off a little finger and he was at the Vale and decided to travel along to Winterfell where, of course, he would deliver Sansa to the Boltons. Um, in between that journey, of course, he met with Brienne of Tarth who had tried to say to Sansa, and in hindsight, perhaps Sansa should have accepted the offer by Brienne. I remember at the time us saying, well, we understand Sansa's perspective here, and 
Um, you know, she's she's doing all right with Littlefinger here. Well, if she knew what was coming up, I'm sure she would have left with Brienne Toth <laughs> instead. But yeah. anyway, so um, Littlefinger manages to persuade Sansa to marry or wed her to the Boltons. And now, because Littlefinger had married Lysa Arryn, he has legitimate hold over Sansa as her uncle, so to speak, Uh which means that he has a way into control of Winterfell in the future, as Sansa is key to the north. So he's already spreading his tentacles out, so to speak, in this particular sector. He's then called back to King's Landing by Cersei, who has told him to, well, what we assume was um, just about whether the Knights of the Vale would fight for their king, but I also think it was linked on to um, Littlefinger's, uh, not protege, but, you know, the guy who was... Yeah, the guy who... who the brothel. witness on the trial of yeah, Sir Loras's yeah, yeah. trial. That guy. I think that was part of the reason why Littlefinger was brought back down and was needed so urgently. Well, you know, Knights of the Vale, are you going to be loyal to the king? You don't really need to say that. But anyway, what I do quite like with Littlefinger, we'll cut a long story short because I'm going, I'm kind of just going, over, doing an overview here of Littlefinger's storyline. Uh, what we see is the cunningness of Littlefinger coming to the surface once again. And we're seeing how his power is beginning to expand at a much faster rate than it's ever done in previous seasons. He's been named Warden of the North. It's a royal decree that's been issued already. Whether, of course, Bruce Bolt's going to accept this is probably not, and it's probably going to sense that it's being stabbed in the back here, but um, well, I don't actually know if this is public knowledge, to be fair. Isn't but Littlefinger's uh, be- becoming Warden of the North contingent on him taking the North? Yes, but Cersei did also say, I'll have the king issue a royal decree Okay, this this evening or something like that which to me would assume that maybe it's not made public yet but as soon as it does then you know as soon as Littlefinger was successful then he would be named Warden of the North point is he's got the royal family on his side and then of course he then talks to Elena Tyrell to say actually I'm not on the side of Cersei Lannister I want to maintain our alliance so I will help you bring Cersei down And I think in a way, Littlefinger knows that Cersei will have to go at some point, not necessarily because of the chaos that's taking place at King's Landing, but the fact that he's not going to have Sansa's head on a spike. Yeah. Um, And Cersei's not going to accept that fact. Sure. So, uh, and on top of that, maintaining alliance with the Tyrells means that Littlefinger maintains another ally. So, uh, to me, what I see with Littlefinger, what was so compelling about his storyline was that we are beginning to see this extension of power at a much faster rate than we've ever seen it before. And I think he's become a bit more open about what his ambitions are. I, the little disappointment would be that I would have liked to have seen the battle of Winterfell take place in the ninth episode, which would then perhaps have given time for a bit of a surprise. If then the Knights of the Vale came and, destroyed the Bolton army, for example. I would have liked to have seen the Battle of Winterfell take place in the sixth episode, but you know. <laughs> yeah, well, we'd all have liked to have seen it take place and occur earlier. Mm-hmm. But uh, to me, I feel there was enough this season to justify it. It's from my perspective. I mean, of course, there were a number of other compelling characters, but for me, 
Peter Baelish stood out, and I think part of it is down to the acting uh, from Aidan Gillen. Oh, sure. But anyway, yeah. I've, said, I've said my part, so I'll let you just say why you disagree with that. Well, I, I don't disagree in the sense that I don't uh, that I, I don't think he's an interesting character or a compelling character, and I do think what ha- what he did this season was compelling. It's just I, I, I and if you had to ask me, maybe around the sixth episode or the seventh episode or the fifth episode, somewhere in the middle, middle to late season, instead of at the end of the season, I might have agreed with you. Uh, it, it's just that his storyline felt like it was pushed to the back burner at the end of the season that they're, they they just didn't have enough time to properly wrap it up, or that, that they had to save it for next season in order to to, to deal with uh, with what they were doing with what they were doing in in the other places the north, in the north. The wall. Yeah, and and so I, I I don't in a sense disagree with you. I I was just surprised that that was your choice. Well, Tyrion was certainly an obvious choice, and I'm actually looking at this, Tyrion is the only character that's been in every episode this season. So yeah. there's, a, there's a little stat for you. Um, or as you can look at Littlefinger, who's been in six episodes this season. But mm-hmm. I, I would say that still his presence was was felt enough to an extent justify why I think he was the most compelling character because of the way his story arc is developing. And while Sansa's storyline has ended up being a little bit more of a disappointment... I think one of the main reasons her story was so compelling was the interaction with Littlefinger and Littlefinger's ploy in all of this. You know, when Littlefinger went to King's Landing, I didn't feel the same sense of, um, I guess, that it didn't meet my expectations. I didn't feel mm-hmm. like I was underwhelmed, is the way to put it. You know, he arrived, and I felt like his his presence was readily felt on the scene. Um as you said, sadly, his storyline was put on a back burner a little bit towards the end. But overall, um, I think, for me at least, he was he was my most compelling character. But I can understand that you know, there are some other people that you can mention. I think, in a way, Jorah as well. Mm-hmm. He was a very his story arc was very compelling this season. How it really evolved from him, obviously being exiled and a drunkard, and and now he's back, possibly in favour of Daenerys. His story arc certainly progressed. Sam Tarly as well. Look at where he was at the start of the season, and now look where he's left at, um, looking to hopefully become a maester. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, maybe not Brienne of Tarth, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, she was too yeah, busy there, being there Captain Phasma. Yeah. yeah. Um, but obviously the other ones were Jon Snow, Daenerys, yeah. and Cersei. Um, not so sure about Jamie Lannister, sadly. <laughs> but um, I think we'll move on now, mm-hmm. and... Um, We've got about, I'd say, four more categories we can do, which uh, are the main ones. Uh, I want to end with the best and worst moments. But what we'll do now is talk about the best actor and actress this season, mm. in your opinion, as uh, as an observer of the the dramatic arts, yeah. an expert. I know you're, you are, <laughs> an expert. What, yes, well, that, maybe that's what I'll win my award now. for. Um yeah, yeah, exactly. That's not a bad award. The yeah. Doctorate of Dramatic Arts. Oh, I, I, you know, the character, the person who I want to say for best actor, I don't know the actor's name off the top oh, of my I've, head. I've got the list of them here. Dominic, okay, so I want, feel free to throw the character's name at me. Stannis Baratheon. Stannis Baratheon is Stephen Delane. Stephen Delane. Yeah, I think he had very difficult material to work with this season. 
because for so long Stannis has been a very one note character, one note character. And in this season, he was challenged in, in multiple different ways. You know, he, he was still very much strumming that one note, but he had to go sharp and flat and, and, you know, kind of go all over the place a little bit. You know, he was forced to portray some level of emotion this season, which is something we've never really seen him do. So he had the, he had the scenes with Shireen, which while at times they may have felt a bit superfluous, they were still very well acted. They, they still, he still conveyed this sense of, of love for his daughter on the show, even though he didn't want to break his cold exterior. And then I think really he shown, he shown in the, the last episode when you know, his daughter has been killed. You know, he sacrificed his daughter to melt the snow. And then all of the unintended consequences started going, going out, you know, happening. His wife hung herself. Uh, all of his, all, all of the cell swords ran away. Uh, you know, he was left with this small army to continue this march. And yet there was this brilliant sense of determination, this foolhardy sense of determination that Stephen Delane carried through or, or portrayed Stannis as having as he continued his march forward to set up his siege uh, at Winterfell. And then, you know, his sense of, you know, you could tell he, he knew he was at the end. He knew he had lost at the end of the season. And yet he stuck, he stuck with it all the way through. And so I think he, he really portrayed a, a, a very interesting character, you know, he, because that character has been so one note. He's so, unemotional and, and this season to see him have to get emotional and to see him face some struggles where he is he can't just be the cold uh exterior i thought really uh i, I thought he really he really shown so I, I i don't know if i don't know if he, he was the absolute best in this season but he was definitely the standout because it was so different from what he what he'd had to do in the past and and i think it was done i think again steven's land fantastic work this season yeah that's that's a very good show i think stannis was another compelling character and a lot of that has been down to the way that he was portrayed look at as you said those scenes with him and shireen at the wall mm -hmm. when they have that real moment of bond um and compassion between the two characters and you could see that he really uh cares for her in a father-daughter relationship way and then to see, obviously, the complete polar opposite of being the one to advocate her being burned alive at the stake. And it's the way that it was portrayed was fantastic. The It's, it's a tough one here um, to choose, I have to say. But because we haven't really mentioned her as much, um, it would be between Lena Headey, mm. oh, obviously yeah. Cersei Lannister, but I'm also going to give a big shout out to Macy Williams, actually. Oh, fair enough. Uh, yeah. For our, as Arya Stark. I feel that, again, a storyline which could have improved. I felt there was a, a lot of time spent at the temple without seemingly much yes. actually happening with her character. But I do think that there were particularly some scenes throughout this season which must be very difficult to have to deal with as a young actress um obviously the, the one of the big ones is what happens in the last episode sure with uh dealing with 
Samaran Trent and that whole storyline in a brothel. Um, and obviously being continuously harassed in a way by that particular, that other girl with the cane and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like she portrayed her character so, so well that you could really still empathize with Arya. And you could see the, the struggle within her character. One of the most poignant scenes, I think, in this season was when she threw her stuff in a lake, but she wouldn't let go of her sword needle. Mm-hmm. And she put it into the rock face. She still held... Um, an element of Arya Stark, her identity still resided within her and I do think that it wasn't necessarily the most standout character in terms of, we look at the storyline and how how intriguing that was wasn't necessarily the most intriguing Um, and and it necessarily wasn't the most filled out either but Mm -hmm. I think that uh, Macy Williams did again knock it out the park um as as a very young actress i think she was fantastic oh yeah her 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 portrayal of that character was by far the best part of that storyline which at at times i I really felt that you know when she killed sir marin trant at the end of the season the character hadn't earned that yet we hadn't seen enough of her actual training and her actual uh you know, you know it, the, the storyline of of her breaking the rules at the at the, the the house of the black and white to me it should have been portrayed as she is she had all but accepted her fate as a faceless assassin that she was all ready to become one and then this figure from her past uh showed up and she chose in that moment to throw it all away instead and this is not due to her acting at all. It's due to the the writing. It, it came down to, it, it felt more like, and and just the way that the, the her her storylines were inserted into the episodes. It felt more like, uh, okay, here's the new kid who doesn't quite know the rules yet, and she breaks them in this way, and and she has this consequences here that she's going to have to deal with. And and, and uh, again, uh, not nothing against the actor. I think I think Maisie really Williams was really. A, a bright spot again in that final episode her and her and, and Stephen Lane really shown in that ep- in that episode where she you know she went from this kind of like merciless killer to this horrified person all you know who just lost her sight essentially you know, she was she, she really she, you really saw her range in, in that episode and I thought that was uh yeah you're right uh, uh, some very good performances from her doing the best with not the best material at times yeah, completely agree. Okay, you know what I said? We had four categories earlier. I think we've got four categories left now. Okay. But some of these will be very quick because <laughs> I think there'll be a consensus amongst us. Okay. Um, these are quite maverick ones. I've got two of these here. So what was the most horrible death this season? Most horrible death? <laughs> Oh. Yeah, well, because there's obviously oh, well, there's, Game of Thrones I is mean, synonymous with death. Yeah. Does it get worse than burning a child at the stake? It's a tough one, really, isn't it? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I think... Well, when I say the most horrible death, I can also <laughs> allow um, if you had necessarily emotional ties to that character as well. Well... The most horrible death in your mind... It's, it's still Shireen. I, I, yeah. I mean, it really, it really is. I mean, Jon Snow... Uh, I just don't think he's dead. <laughs> it was, it was a, it was a brutal scene. Um, but I, I think 
I, like most people, just just don't think he's dead yet. Not willing to write that off as a death, but rather a, a, a step at the next step in his journey. And I don't mean that in sort of a big philosophical way. I, I mean that in, in the sense that he had to die for X to happen. And, and I came across a theory this week that I'll share when we, we predict, uh, what we're, what, what we, what we think we may see next season that I think is really interesting and would explain that why he had to die and makes it so, uh, it makes it, I think is a really cool idea. It would be really, it would explain why it wouldn't make it feel, cause you know, if he comes back next season and there's not a good reason for it, then it will feel like he was killed only to bring back a character that we, you know, just kind of as the hook to bring you back for next season. But this idea of why he would die, I, I think is a really good idea. And I'll share it at the end of the show. Um, but, but yeah, most horrible death. I mean, Shireen, I mean, we, we you know, all those scenes, you know, while well, we talked about how they were telegraphed, I mean, they worked, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, it was really this horrible death. And, and then to see her, her mother just go, just finally, you know, she'd been the one saying, she was she was apologizing for this daughter of theirs and and then she was the one who sort of you know in the moment she tried to save her when Stannis she broke down. yeah when Stannis the one who had said who had always said he loved her was the one who stood away who stood back I, I thought was yeah that, that death plus you're burning a child at the stake <laughs> how does it get worse than that it doesn't get much worse I. Again, this is a consensus one yeah. here. I can't, I can't disagree with that. The Shireen death was by far the most impactful. And it's only one of the few deaths in Game of Thrones where you just literally a little bit numb emotionally after oh, what yeah. just happened there because it's, it's a child and the way that it was acted, the, uh, I, forgive me, uh, the child's name is, is, is sadly escaping me. Um, oh, here we go. Kerry Ingram is the name mm. of the child actor who plays Shireen. And I thought she knocked it out of the park in a way because you really felt sympathy towards her character and you really... I, I don't know how those soldiers just had no facial or emotional acknowledgement in a way of what was happening, apart from the self swords, but the loyalists, still to Stannis, um, because, you know, even the mother just broke down there and I think her reaction really just embodied the audience's reaction to what was happening. Mm -hmm. And it was completely shocking. Um, I mean, can you imagine if the episode had ended with that? I think uh. we would have got a completely different reaction to the, uh, episode nine of season five. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I, I think we could agree that the Shireen burning at the stake was, was up there with the worst. I mean, in fairness, there wasn't as many major characters that were killed off this season, were there? Yeah. I think... You had, I mean, towards the end you did, you got, well, we say that, but we, I was going to say Stannis, but yeah. even then that's up in the air. Um, Samaran Trent obviously is gone, Marcella's gone, Jon Snow, but likely to come back. Mate, Mance Raider was really the big one at the start. And, um, oh, and Sebastian, of course, Sebastian Stelmy. But uh, for the most part, uh, most people just died in hard home, really, didn't they? But yeah. They were wildlings <laughs> who we didn't really know. Already yes. care about. It's true. So, yeah, I think we can agree that's probably the most horrible death. Okay, so we're going to get now on to moments. Uh, what was the most controversial moment? And I think this one again will be a bit of a, a consensus oh, yeah. we can reach, uh, reach upon this one, Dominic. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, well, it, I mean, Sansa, the, 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 the rape of Sansa 
at the hands of uh, Ramsey Bolton while Theon watched. I mean, there's never, I really, there's never been a more polarizing thing in, in Game of Thrones fandom. Uh, let alone, you know, so the, you know, there's the reaction to that. I mean, you look at the, uh, the ratings for uh, on Game of Thrones episodes, like, you know, on Rotten Tomatoes, you know, most episodes are, you know, eight are you know, somewhere from like 85 to a hundred percent rating. That one has a 53. Mm. So it, it really shows you just a, a, alone how it, it polarized people. Um, and, and, you know, we talked about it when it happened. I, I, I really, I, I still feel we didn't quite get enough to justify it yet. And I, and I mean, justify it in the story, uh, you know, justify like there has to be a reason, like we have to know what happened yet. Obviously what happened in universe is unjustifiable. You can't defend what Ramsey did at all. Um, but from a story perspective, it, it still feels like she, from that moment on, it kind of converted her back to being the victim and it took her away from being the hero that we wanted her to be, the, the even just like kind of the little finger like character. And it, 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 we still haven't gotten her back to where she was at the beginning of season four, at the beginning of season five. And, and until we get there and surpass it and she can continue along that it, it's hard to look at that moment and say i see why they did this because right now it still feels like it was done for shock value hmm. and sadly i feel that that scene really was what partly as you said tipped over the edge in terms of audience reaction it really polarized the opinion towards that particular scene and and where Sansa's storyline was going. I think at that time, even though Littlefinger had left, we'd had the scene with Sansa at the dinner table and obviously her standing up to Miranda in the bar scene and uh, her disregard in a way to Theon. So there were still signs of Sansa progressing as a character. But that was the scene which, as you said, just flipped her storyline on its head and she no longer was the one who was the conniving little finger um all but name in a way mm-hmm. um at winterfell she was now the victim once again as though it was her with joffrey baratheon at king's landing in season two and she had no real answer to it which is a shame because Although, uh, well, you see at the end of the season, I I don't think Sansa necessarily comprehended how much power she had in a way Mm -hmm. uh, over Ramsay because she says the line, something akin to, uh, you know, if I'm going to die, then let it be when there's still some of me left. And then Miranda says, oh, no, we can't. We can't kill you. We can't die. I I just wonder if Sansa had made, was more self-aware of that fact Maybe it would have changed her attitude and and the way that she interacted with Ramsay. Yeah, maybe well, she would have I, tried to manipulate him a little bit more. I, what, I, what would you say to that? I think you're right. I think like that, that's part of the thing is that all the tools for her to advance as a character were at her disposal, and yet she slipped back into that victim role. You know, all of that stuff of of her becoming Littlefinger in all but name that you're talking about, the the dinner scene and the stuff with Miranda, all all of that was kind of, 
you know, it was felt like it was building up to something. And while she was able to continue that a little bit with, with Theon and even Ramsay to a certain extent, although that was then turned into her being the victim again, when she came face to face with the, the old woman that he had just flayed. Uh, you're right. I don't think she fully comprehended the, the power that she had. And I think if she had been able to comprehend that, what, and then use these, this new skill set that she's developing, she could have put Ramsey in his place. And I think that would have been far more interesting than her following in, falling into the victim role and then Theon saving her and them jumping off the wall of Winterfell. Hmm. Uh, but. That's not the story we got. So the story we got is we got what we got to roll with and we'll see if she can embrace some of this, these facts, uh, you know, better late than never. I think she will do. Yeah. At some I, I point, hope so. she has to. I because hope so. What is the point then of changing her character so much this season to make her far more confident to almost be a protege of Littlefinger? Mm-hmm. And, well, I, you know, it would be a little bit of a twist if everyone was saying, well, Sansa could be the death of Littlefinger. You know, what if Sansa was to bite the dust before the, her and Littlefinger reunited? Yeah. I, I just can't see that happening, though. I, I'm I'm sure that she will reunite with Littlefinger. And hopefully, if and when that does happen, the story can then progress on. Yeah. Because she needs to keep learning and she needs to reassert herself. And I think at this point, it's only really going to happen if... She, I, I, you almost thinking to yourself, what is it that's going to inspire Sansa now to stand up and be counted for? What's going to inspire Sansa to be the character we saw at the beginning of season five? Yeah. And at the moment, if she's just with Theon, I struggle to see what inspiration she'll be able to get from that, mm-hmm. personally. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, I think we were on a relative consensus there that the rape scene was, of course, the most controversial moment of this season. Yes. By a landslide. Okay, so we're nearly coming to the end of our little categories, or the little categories which I've made up here. Um, <laughs> what would you say then, before we get on to our best and worst moment of the season, what would you say was the best episode? And again, I, I wow. imagine we are going down similar lines here. Yeah, I mean, hard home. You, you can't – again, it, it had the shock value that uh, Game of Thrones is known for, but it was kind of turned on its head. Instead of a character death, it was this massive battle. Uh, I thought it, it gave us some great character moments with, with Jon Snow and, and Tormund Giantsbane and, and introduced us to some wildlings that were a little bit more forward-thinking than some others and some others that were not quite so keen on on doing that. Not to mention the first half of the episode, you had – Tyrion and Danny meeting for the well not not so much meeting for the first time but their first conversations and they were agreeing to work together that alone was phenomenal the the conversations between those two and so you know when you have those two characters meet combined with this sort of you know we, we called the episode of the podcast game changer because it was a game changing moment in the show I, I really believe that it, it changes everyone all all of our viewers perspectives as to what the real threat is you know it's important i think while it's important we continue to focus on the politics of westeros because we've been following that for so long and i think it it will have a part to play in all of this ultimately the the real war is the one at the wall 
with or beyond the wall with this army of the dead and the night king and and all of that stuff so so you know the Tyrion and, and Danny conversations combined with this game changing moment that was um phenomenally choreographed and acted and, and just so well done uh you, yeah hard home by a landslide it was one of the best episodes of the entire series let alone this season mm. yeah I have to agree with you once again there, Dominic. Hard Home was just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And it wasn't just the, the, the Wildlings, Night's Watch team up against the White Walkers, which of course was the highlight of the episode. But even the stuff as you said at the beginning with Daenerys and Tyrion meeting for the first time, Jorah being exiled once again. Um, but seeing the rapport building between Tyrion and Daenerys, um, you then had the scene, of course, although we said Santa's storyline was a little bit weak, I did like the scene where she managed to pressurize Fionn mm-hmm. into revealing um, that he didn't kill the two boys, which, as you said, a game changer. In a way, I think it was a massive change into the story there, and I'm not sure that Fionn or Reek would have saved Sansa if he hadn't admitted that. Mm-hmm. So that was something to get off his belt. And then obviously we see the bits with Cersei while she's locked away um, and continuously harassed by this Septon to confess her sins. And she learns, of course, that the project's continuing and Kevin's now the hand of the king. So even the politics in King's Landing, whilst we didn't necessarily see it on screen, we were orally hearing that it was beginning to evolve and change. Um, and then Ramsay, of course, makes up his plan to go and ambush Stannis. And in a way, that's a bit of a game changer as to how that fight was going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just decimated Stannis' entire force, which was one of the main, main contributing factors within Stannis' mind, which determined his choice to, of course, burn his daughter alive. So that episode, as you said, there was so much good in it. And I think not only was it the best episode of the season, but... For many people, one of the best of the series. Yeah. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I almost forgot that Arya was in that episode as well, wasn't <laughs> she, when she was uh, delivering oysters to that uh, man. That wasn't the highlight of the episode. <laughs> but anyway, um, we'll come on then to the, the final two categories. So I have, you, if you have any more after, we can come on to that. Otherwise, we've got always predictions to uh, come on to. But we'll go then... We'll start. Let's get the negatives out of the way. Let's get that out of the way. What was, sadly, Dominic? What was the worst moment <laughs> you would say of this season? Um, yeah, I think you may have alluded to it earlier. It's not storyline, but just moment. Moment. Yeah. The uh, the battle in the water gardens. It, it was. Uh, it, it, it came at a point in that storyline when it was becoming clear that things weren't quite going uh, as well as we were hoping they would. And it was, like I said, it was just, uh, it, it wasn't well executed. It, it was, was kind of weirdly shot. It was poorly choreographed and there wasn't any real sense of danger involved. And so I, I unfortunately that, that, that scene, I, again, high potential, um, uh, just fell short of what, what I was looking for from it. And I think for what a lot of people were looking for, but how yeah. about you? How about you? Oh, the worst one. I mean, that that was certainly up there, but 
I guess I would have to say that I, in terms of the moment, I mean, it, it's hard to just pick out from my perspective just just the one, but I wasn't really a fan of some of the the Daenerys storyline with regards to Grey Worm and um, mm. what's the woman advisor's name? Missandei. Missandei. I wasn't really a fan of that storyline, and, and I'm not. Uh, and that that moment after he's been no longer, well, he's been wounded in battle, um, and they're talking about it in the bedroom. I don't. It's one of those storylines I just don't really find compelling. I don't really understand where it's going to be heading. But if there is payoff to it, kudos. I'll hopefully look forward to it. But at right now, um, this was the scene, I think, after um, Sir Barristan had been killed. And and I, I didn't really see where what, what, was, what was going on there. I think you talked about it before, Dominic. Some stories seem to have just been left yeah. this season. And that was certainly one of them at the beginning. I remember in the first episode they were talking together... Masande um, and Grey Worm about why the Unsullied were going to the brothels, and I thought, oh, well, maybe we'll learn something a bit more about the Unsullied or something like that. But that didn't materialise either, did it? Really? No, unfortunately, um, it, not. It, it kind of got left under the carpet, so to yeah. speak. Oh well, so be it then. I think we can uh, <laughs> agree that uh, in terms of some of the storylines and scenes. Yes, the Water Gardens was certainly one that, that could yeah. have been improved. Okay, then let's go on a more cheery note. Yeah. What was the best moment then to cap well, off season five? I, I I think you have to go to the Battle of Hard Home, or just the the whole the whole Hard Home sequence. Uh, again, talked about the, the wildlings who were were willing to come together with the Night's Watch. They were willing to work together. Uh, and, and then, but then there were others who weren't, and, and the other ones they 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 weren't willing to, to work together. And then, all of a sudden, it was all forgotten as soon as the whites crashed through the the fence or the walls. There, uh, it, you get this all-out action sequence that was beautifully choreographed, very well shot, emotional, um, and and it ended with just that great moment of the Night King just raising his hands and all of the uh, all of the dead rising again and i think it, it, you know it showed again it just showed how this outside threat in the only way they can even dream to escape it is by working together when you know five minutes before the battle started it seemed that only a portion of the wildlings were going to leave with john and the rest were going to you know continue on how they always had you know hating the night's watch hating the crows and then all of a sudden the whites attack and all of the history between the two are forgotten and they they have only one goal to take down that army and i thought and, and just the whole sequence was so well done and just a huge moment for the series and so i, I can't i can't say enough good things about hard home yeah hard home was absolutely incredible and that certainly would make it in my top five moments of the season um but would it make my top one? Well, I've decided to go for a list of five here in the end. Okay. Um, to 
maybe I'm cheating the system a little <laughs> bit, but oh well, I'll make up the rules, so I don't care. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say that number five for me, which is a bit of a maverick one, but I'll, I'll briefly explain why. Uh, number five for the season, I really enjoyed the conversation between Elena and Littlefinger, actually. Mm. Oh, I yeah. thought that was one of my highlights. Yeah, yeah. Again, two fantastic uh, actor, an actor, an actress with uh, Aidan Gillen and uh, Diana B- uh, Brig, isn't it? Riggs. Riggs, sorry. Yeah. I'll get, get that right next time. <laughs> um, I thought that was fantastically executed, and I just love the rapport between those two characters. So for me, that was a standout scene. Number four was at the end of that episode when Cersei got her comeuppance and she was then imprisoned by the High Sparrow um, with obviously the big reveal there. I I loved how the scene really contrasted at the end of Cersei going into the cell of where Marjorie Tyrell was and really she was at the zenith of her power and glee and glory and then suddenly to have it all snatched from underneath her feet, really, and she was then thrown into a cell and a dungeon. Yeah. So... Yeah, for me, that was definitely number four on the list. Uh, in terms of number three, I am going to go um, for the Battle of Winterfell, actually, which may well surprise you, but yeah. I, I did like the whole way that scene was built up, and so uh, maybe I'm kind of cheating a little bit, but... Uh, obviously we'd seen with Stannis the fact that his wife had committed suicide Melisandre had abandoned and he he still walks up there and in a way it's not surprising he loses but I guess uh, the manner of the defeat and the way that the Boltons were prepared, uh, you obviously had the side story with Brienne and Podrick and Brienne finally getting to exact justice or as she will see but you know for the most part um, I, I did enjoy that actually and I think it was a great way to get people engrossed into that episode I don't think it was necessarily the biggest plot of season 5 but it was one of the biggest ones so um, I really really enjoyed that scene um, number 2 of course is going to be Hard Home that was incredible and I'm, I don't need to say any more about yeah. that you've said it all <laughs> brilliantly and my top 1 will be the Jon Snow death, mm. nevertheless. I, I do think the way that it was executed, yes. and okay, it wasn't the biggest, biggest surprise, but it, uh, the way it had been built up that whole season, Jon, who has become Lord Commander, he'd helped the Wildlings, he'd fought the White Walkers and killed one of them with his Valerian steel sword, and then in the end he gets killed by a mutiny of brothers. Yeah, And the way that it's really just managed to inspire um, and incite many theories and questions and queries as to is he dead unlikely how are they going to bring him back I think it's just sparked so much debate and so in terms of the impact it's had on the audience in particular I think for me that was one of well as I said I think it's the biggest moment of season five yeah yeah. But anyway, I, have, I, you, have I, you got I, any anything else to well, add on? Yeah, any categories? I just <laughs> well, I just wanted to take a moment. And, you know, we've talked a, 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 about many, many storylines and many characters, and uh, one character who had a, a pretty significant storyline this season, 
Um, and that was a, it was an interesting storyline, even though it wasn't the most, uh, dramatic, it, it, or it wasn't as dramatic as, as some of the other characters, as some of the other, uh, storylines. And, and that we've kind of haven't really talked about it as a whole was, would be, uh, uh, Daenerys Targaryen. Uh, her her storyline this season I thought was really interesting because it, it picked up from uh, where last season left off where she was now the ruler of Marine and much in the same way that uh, you know in King's Landing we're sort of dealing with what the aftermath of a war actually means we're now seeing Danny sort of faced with what ruling actually means and I thought that was really interesting I thought to sort of show her that uh, aspect of what she what she thinks her goal is and what she thinks her dream is and I uh, to, to make her come face to face with that and the real struggles of, of ruling and 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 rebellion and and all of that sort of things and I think it it put her in a place where she was questioning her own decisions she was questioning her advisors she didn't really know what to do and I think that sort of culminated when she climbed onto the back of, of Drogon at the end of episode nine and she just had to fly away. She had to get away from it all to really figure out who she is. And I think the arrival of the Dothraki there at the end, uh, will sort of put her back in touch with her roots, make her understand what she actually wants. And so that by the time we're talking about the season six finale, she fully understands why she's going to Westeros and what she needs to do there. And I think having a ruler or having an, an advisor like Tyrion show up, somebody who understands what it takes to rule in Westeros, I think will, uh, will help her because for as much as, uh, for as useful as everybody was, uh, all of her advisors were, they weren't all that useful either. You know, Sir Bar- Barristan is a warrior and, you know, for as much as he could help her and, and alert her to, you know, the goods and bads in her family history, ultimately he, he was killed off and he was more of a, you know, there for protection. Uh, Dario Naharis, you know, he's sort of, he's good for protection. His advice was not all that great. And I think Danny kind of realized that after she burned that dude alive <laughs> earlier this season. Uh, his Darzo Larak, he just kind of wanted things to go back to the way they used to be. And that slave guy that she actually had to kill, um, he didn't understand the concept of, you know, justice and, and, you know, that you can't go breaking your own laws. And so she didn't have good advisors. And I think now that she has someone like Tyrion around, you know, the two of them will make an unstoppable force. Her with her army and her way of connecting with the people, him with his sort of sense of what actually needs to get done in order to rule a kingdom. The two of them, I think, will, will really form an unstoppable force. And I think this season, uh, really highlighted some of her struggles and I think it was uh, right to do so because, you know, in order for her to be a successful ruler, she has to overcome things other than just armies. And I think that's where, you know, we started that journey this season and hopefully next season we'll see it completed once, once she's, uh, reunited with the Dothraki for a little while and she remembers and she's forced to come face to face, face to face essentially with her past. And, that, and so I, I thought that storyline was very well pulled off. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't as dramatic or as groundbreaking as, as some of the other ones. It, it did, or, or even as controversial. It, it just kind of, it existed in a way that was kind of 
almost secondary this season, which was kind of kind of different for her to kind of be the secondary storyline to what's going on with with Cersei and John and, and Stannis and that kind of stuff. Um, but it was very consistently well done throughout this season. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so let's let's uh, before we wrap up on season five, let us talk about. Well, let's make some predictions for next season. Or rather, let's do this. What are your hopes for next season? What are you hoping to see? Or what do you hope the show gives you next season? It's a very good question. We look at where we've left off then in terms of storylines. Uh, the main headlines, as it were. We've got Stannis defeated at Winterfell and the Boltons have cemented their control over the North. We have Arya Stark, who's now been indicted by her overseers at the House of Black and White mm-hmm. and has now gone blind, temporary, permanent. We'll find out, I guess. Um, Marcellus died, which means that uh, Cersei's lost another daughter. Uh, oh, sorry, another child. Another child. She's only got one daughter. Um, we've also got, of course, Brianna Toff enacting her vengeance against Stannis, which kind of sums up that storyline. Jon Snow has been killed off. And, of course, with the Daenerys storyline, we've got her now found and discovered by the Dothraki, uh, Jorah, and uh, Daharis are heading off to find her while Tyrion remains at Marine to rule and to finish it all off doing a little recap here I should phew, it's harder word than it sounds this Dominic um, <laughs> and then of course with the King's Landing stuff Cersei doing a walk of atonement but now she's back in the hands of uh, the small council Kyburn and Robert Strong so in terms of the hopes then as I've kind of wrapped that all up I'm really intrigued to see what's going to happen in King's Landing. What's going to happen now with Cersei Lannister? I don't think she is done yet. And what I really hope is that she starts to enact some vengeance. Um, although she may be not the most liked character on the show, as we said, she's certainly one of the most compelling ones. And I, I would really love to see some sort of Red Wedding-esque hit on the many members of the small council <laughs> or the um, the High Sparrow. I mean, I don't think the High Sparrow threat has by any means diminished as a result of Cersei just returning. It's it's going to be an open feud, though. And also, linking on to that, then, if we want to start seeing some payoff with Dawn, what is the impact of Marcella's death? That's what I want to find out a little bit more, more on. Uh, but for me, my main hope is that the story in the North really begins to become a lot more intriguing and fascinating, the same way it had done at the beginning of Season 5. I want to find out what is going to happen with Sansa Stark and Littlefinger. Are they going to reunite? Will she be the key to the North? What's going to happen with the Boltons? I remember saying earlier this season, surely the Boltons have got to go by the end. They're not. They're still here. What does that mean? What impact is that going to have on the politics of Westeros? And then to finish it off, we better hope Jon Snow returns. So that's my kind of list of predictions there. So Jon Snow returning. I want an expansion on the North story, particularly Littlefinger and Sansa. Cersei enacting her revenge story. 
storyline um, on Dawn and the High Sparrow. So I'm hoping that we're going to get a lot more action next season. What about yourself, Dominic? Yeah. Your hopes for next season? Well, what I'm hoping for for next season mainly is that they focus more on story and less on moments. I hope that they that next season they focus on just trying to tell the best possible story, not getting us from shocking moment to shocking moment, uh, which it felt like at times that was more the goal. Uh, I, I hope to see the characters you know, pick up from where we leave off this season and really start, uh, you know, marching towards the end game, you know, this, this, and, and I, and I hope things, you know, there were some things this season that felt like they moved too quickly and some things that were felt like they moved too slowly. The battle of Winterfell is, was one of those things where it felt like we were talking about that from week one and we, we didn't get to it until episode 10. And by the time we got there, it, it felt like a bit of a letdown. So I hope that they, they, they are able to get the pacing a little bit better next season in order to, you know, make the season feel a little bit more like a, a proper journey. I think this season was about getting people into the right positions to really wrap up uh, or to begin the, the, you know, the, the climax of the story or begin the march to the climax rather, you know, this season, while it may have felt slow, I think in some ways, it was supposed to be a little bit slower. Uh, I, I wish the story had been a little bit more cohesive and consistent at times, but I, I also recognize that the, the story needed to slow down a little bit after seasons three and after really after seasons two, three, and four, uh, where we had been dealing with all out war. And I think to, to slow it down and to put some characters into the right places to begin the, the march to the end game here, which looks to be at the end of season seven, but who knows? Um, I think think that was sort of necessary. It, the show was almost, for lack of a better term, repiloting. You know, we we were dealing with characters we had followed for four seasons, but so many of them were in such different positions than we had ever dealt with before that we had to kind of get used to them in in these new ways. And I think the show stumbled a little bit this season in in putting them into in, into into adjusting us from what we were used to into these new characters or into their new uh their new domain for lack of a better term and so i hope you know next season they take what they've built this season they solidify it a little bit but they also begin to show us why all those changes last seasons were necessary what i hope is that season six makes season five better in that when you look back on season five, you understand why they did it in this particular way and that it, it doesn't feel like we're just kind of building up to nothing uh, or that this season could ultimately have been told in, in you know, the main points could have been done very differently. Uh, but I hope that when we look back on this season, that it, it feels like it was necessary to do things this way in order to get us from where we needed to be to from where we were to where we needed to be. So that's really what I'm hoping for, for next season. Now, as for, for predictions, uh, I think you're right. I think Cersei next season will be back with, with vengeance. I do still think we're kind of in the, uh, the downfall of Cersei Lannister, but I think, you know, it, it would be far too simple for her to have just kind of been outsmarted by the, by the high sparrow. I think, 
we're kind of in that thing. We're talking about fool me once, shame on you. So she's been fooled by the High Sparrow. Now she's not going to let that happen again. Her with Sir Robert Strong and, and Quyburn at her side, they are going to cause all sorts of hell for everybody in King's Landing, including the High Sparrow, including the small council. All the people that did not support her are going to feel her wrath next season. And ultimately, I think that will be what leads to her downfall. Yes, it will, it will still be a result of, you know, the High Sparrow's actions. You know, he will put her in a position where she doesn't care what anybody thinks of her anymore. I think that's sort of where she is right now. You know, she's gotten to the end of that march of shame. Now she, you know, she really has nothing left to lose, uh, other than Tomlin. And now she's going to try and do whatever she can in order to retain her power. And I think that will ultimately lead, lead to her downfall for, for one reason or another, whether, it, whether it's the people uprising, which I think is what's going to happen. I think there was enough hints at that this season with, with everything the, uh, the high sparrow was saying about what happens when the, when the many turn on the few and, and that kind of thing. And so I think it will be, be really interesting. I think we're in for, for more interesting stuff from her character. And I think her character has only gotten more interesting since the death of Tywin. I, I really do. Um, and as for Jon Snow, Jon Snow, I, I think we, we, we were both in agreement that he's not dead. And I think we're also both in agreement that, that Melisandre is going to play some role in bringing him back. Which would, is, is that a fair statement? That's a very fair statement. Yeah. Uh, Melisandre is going to be playing an integral role. Right. In, in fairness to Game of Thrones, when they introduce a particular scene like that at the end of, se- of uh, Season 5, with, of course, poignant reference to the fact that Melisandre has returned, and Sir Davos was there as well, reminding us that he's at the wall, Melisandre's mm-hmm. now at the wall, and we've already seen what's happened with a band of brothers and Sir Dedric, is that his name? Bar- Barak Dundarian and Thoros of Mir, the Red Priest. Yeah. What you said there, my friend. Yes. <laughs> um, those two characters, we've already seen how a man can be brought back to life. And yes. I think Very it's going so. to follow suit with Jon Snow. And, and yeah, I mentioned earlier, one of my real hopes is that, you know, killing Jon Snow at the end of the season is not. Uh, just the hook to bring you back next season is that there's a real purpose to it. And, you know, we've talked in the past about the theory, the, the R plus L equals J theory, you know, um, that Jon Snow's parents are not Ned Stark and some unknown woman, but actually Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark. So with, with that in mind, uh, you know, you would think Jon Snow would be far too important to be killed off because that's been one of the major mysteries throughout this entire series so so with keeping that in mind how could you kill him well uh and this you know credit i have to give credit where credit is due this is a i, I watched a phenomenal video by the youtuber uh, alt shift x and this guy goes through like super in-depth into game of thrones and uh, song of ice and fire theories and he did a great video about you know could Jon snow return and this would explain why I think Kit Harrington and, 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 uh, David and Dan, the, the, the executive producers are being so firm on the thing that Jon Snow is dead when he is most likely going to come back. And it all comes down to Jon's Night's Watch vows. 
And so I've got the, the vows here. So we'll, we'll, I'm just going to go through them real quickly and then I'll explain what it, what this whole idea is. So the night's watch vows are night gathers and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. I shall wear no crowns and win no glory. I shall live and die at my post. I am the sword in the darkness. I am the watcher on the walls. I am the shield that guards the realms of men. I pledge my life and honor to the Night's Watch for this night and all the nights to come. Now, obviously, the whole R plus L equals J thing and, and John being a Targaryen and potentially having some claim to the throne is kind of thwarted by this whole I shall wear no crowns and win no glory aspect of his watch or of the vows. But then it shall not end until my death. Jon Snow is dead. Therefore, he is released from his Night's Watch vows. So if they bring him back and he can learn the truth, he could go out as Jon Stark or Jon Targaryen and play a larger role in the uh, in the Westeros politics. He could go to someone like Danny and Tyrion, or even head for King's Landing and try to explain to the people there about this army of the dead. And while people in King's Landing may not believe it, uh, Danny may believe her long lost cousin, and Tyrion would probably believe it. They've both seen dragons. They know the impossible is possible. So I love this idea of that. The whole point of killing Jon Snow is to release him from his night's watch vows. His watch ended because he died. He can now go and be a part of the realm's politics, which is what the night's watch is never supposed to do. And so I, th- I thought that was a, a, a brilliant catch um, by, by that guy, by, by alt shift X uh, or whoever first came up with that theory. Uh, I thought it was brilliant. What what do you think of that idea that the whole point of killing John is to release him from his vows so that he can take his true or accept his true fate as John Stark or John John Targaryen and be a, a play a bigger part in this uh in this massive war to come. I think it's a great idea. What a fantastic concept that is. Mm-hmm. And this is why I'm always a fan of uh these Game of Thrones fans who are diligent followers of the series and 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 some of the theories that they are able to concoct is fascinating. That one holds a lot of credence to it as well, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And I, I think uh, that would explain why Kit Harington and 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 David and, and David Benioff and, and Dan Weiss and they can go out there and say he's dead. Well, he's dead. He has to be dead. Of course, he's dead because that plays into the story. Because Jon yeah. Snow is dead, therefore he is released from his vows. Now, I could also see a situation where, you know, yes, Jon Snow is released from his vows, he goes and plays his part in this massive war, and then at the end of the story, when, when Danny goes to sit on the, on the throne, he returns to the Night's Watch and becomes Lord Commander again. I could see something like that happening. I think that would be mm-hmm. an, an interesting way for the story to go, um, because that seems to be where he feels most at home, is at the wall. Um, you know him and him and Sam as a uh, as Lord Commander and Maester. That's the that's the end of the story, <laughs> story, uh, perhaps. But I yeah I, lo- I love that idea that you know his watch is over because he's he's dead. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, I think that 
wraps it up for this week. A nice long episode recapping all of season five. I forgot how long these episodes go when we're talking about, you know, ten episodes at once or five episodes at once. Uh, but it was, it was great, great fun talking Game of Thrones with you as always. So, uh, let's do final thoughts. I don't know if we can really give a score out of 10 for the entire season, but let's at least do final thoughts on season five. Nah, we'll give it a score out of 10. Okay, go for it. Final thoughts on season five. I really enjoy season five. I feel that as a season, we'll be able to appreciate it and grow to appreciate it a lot more once we've seen season six and seven because as you've rightly said dominic i feel like in comparison to other seasons we haven't had that massive war or conflict going on in the background it's been a bit a lot more politics a lot more intrigue and not much white walker action either until episode eight of course (laughs) of season five which as you said it was a game-changing episode and I feel like there are so many more storylines which are still so compelling. What's going on in the North with the Bolton, Sansa, Reek? What's going to happen in the Wall now with Jon Snow who's passed away? King's Landing with Cersei and the High Sparrow now, which was a massive storyline and had only materialized in season five. The Fate Militant were nowhere to be seen until season five. And it's really, really changed the dynamics of that entire landscape in King's Landing. But what else also is going to happen now? Marcella's gone. I mean, there are so many... We talked about predictions before. I feel like, in the end, we have got some massive payoffs to some storylines. Whether we would like to see them a bit earlier or not, we've spoken about our views, so I think some of the storylines could definitely have been improved, but I think for the most part, I'm a big fan of Season 5. I feel that visually we could see how it's really progressing as well. Um, the acting is always on point, and I think bringing in Jonathan Price was a masterstroke to play the High Sparrow. And as I said, the best episode we've agreed on is Hard Home, and it's one of the best of the series. So for me, I'm going to give this season a ranking of 8 out of 10. Fair enough. All right. All right. I, I see where you're coming from. For me, this this season ultimately felt disjointed. It felt like it didn't want to fully become a political show. It, it knew that it, it had gained its reputation as being this great medieval war series. And now that the war was over, it, it, it didn't want to fully embrace its, its, its fate of being a, a little bit more political this season. I think that's what led to a lot of things like the Battle of Winterfell taking forever to get there because they had to have a battle to keep talking about because they felt they needed that to get people to, to tune in. That's I'm speculating there, but it, it did kind of feel that way that they didn't want to fully go uh, into the politics of, of Westeros as deeply as they really could have or should have, uh, especially, you know, again, death of Tywin really left a power vacuum there and it was you know nobody has rushed in to fill it yet and that sort of got everybody walking on pins and needles right now um, but that being said there were some stellar it was still a good season uh, good season of a uh, of a uh, of Game of Thrones uh, you know a, a sub a subpar season of Game of Thrones is still better than most things on TV I, I really enjoyed uh, a lot a lot of aspects of it not the least of which uh John, John Snow, the Cersei, 
uh, the Danny, all of those great uh, storylines, as well as uh, Stannis being brought in. I really did enjoy, or being, you know, really having a much bigger role in this season than in past season. I did enjoy sort of watching that storyline play out in a very interesting fashion. Uh, would have liked a little bit more out of the, uh, the, the Sansa and Arya stories this, this year, you know, uh, Sansa especially. Uh, but Arya, you know, I felt, I really felt she needed to earn that kill a little bit more. Uh, whereas Sansa, I really hope they find a way to get her back to what it looked like she was going to be at the beginning of this season. Uh, but that being said, still a, 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 a lot of great moments this season. Battle of Hard Home, that episode in and of itself, one of the best of the series, as well as the meeting between uh, 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 Danny and Tyrion, uh, really was a really great moment in the series, and, and having the two of them on screen together was phenomenal. Uh, so for me, I'll, I'll, get, I'll give this season a... a, 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 a uh, 7 out of 10. Yeah, I'll, I'll go for a 7 out of 10. That will wrap th- but that will wrap things up for us for this week. Um, well, Comic-Con is coming up is coming up. I will be there. I uh, will likely have uh, some good coverage from there. Um, I I think it's pretty safe to say we'll we'll live tweet the panel and uh well, maybe we'll meet and hopefully I think we should meet up after Comic-Con and discuss what we've learned. Now, Game of Thrones is always an interesting place because they do, they they go to Comic Con sort of right after the season ended, so they haven't really shot anything yet. So we don't know if there'll be much uh, hints or teasers about next season, but I'm sure there'll be some great stuff to talk about. So uh, if you're at Comic Con and you see me there, say hi. We'll talk some Game of Thrones. We'll talk Star Wars. We'll talk whatever. Uh, and of course, if you want all the Star Wars coverage, head over to the Star Wars Underworld. I'll give you all the plugs for that in a moment. But Kieran, thank you so much for joining, for, for, for doing this with me as always. Anything you want to plug this week? I sadly have nothing to plug as <laughs> of yet, as we are in the midst of the holiday season for Expression FM. But nonetheless, I'm sure that at some point we will have a recorded episode of the Clone Wars Strikes Back, which will be coming back in the not-too-distant future. Yes, yes. It's just a matter of, of, uh, of picking a date and, and getting back to that. And, you know, now that Game of Thrones is over, we can uh, really get into, into Clone Wars again. And, you know, we're entering the home stretch over there. You know, we really are. Kind of at, at the end, almost. It's kind of sad. Season 5 finale... And then the lost missions, and then well, the legacy content as well. So there's there's still a good amount to go, but definitely the home stretch. But uh, you can find that over at the Star Wars Underworld, StarWarsUnderworld.com. Speaking of Star Wars Underworld, you can check out the Star Wars Underworld podcast. That's my other show. Uh, it's where it's recorded live each and every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern on Channel 1138.com. It's where we break down all the latest. Uh, and greatest Star Wars news, uh, as as well as media. So uh, last week's episode is available now. It's where we talked about Star Wars Rebels, the Siege of Lothal, the uh, the movie event for Star Wars Rebels of the summer. Uh, really got into lots of fun stuff with Darth Vader, Sokotano, all the all of our favorite characters in that episode. So definitely want to check that out. And uh, this week coming up. We'll be previewing Comic-Con because, uh, like I said, I'll be heading down to San Diego Comic-Con, of course, mainly to cover Star Wars, but 
of course, we'll do some Game of Thrones coverage as well. So uh, keep an eye on the usual places for that kind of stuff. So if you want to find Star Wars Underworld, uh, like I said, live Thursday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, channel 1138.com, and then available the next day on iTunes. Uh, speaking of iTunes, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes. Uh, just search for The Watchers of Westeros. And if you have time while you're over there, leave us a review. We would greatly appreciate it. You can like the show on Facebook, facebook.com slash Watchers of Westeros. Follow us on Twitter at Watcher Westeros. And follow me personally at DominicJ25. That's probably a good place to get some uh, Comic-Con updates, uh, Star Wars, Game of Thrones, and... Who knows what else related. And you can follow Kieran at CDuggan6. Anything else we need to plug this week? Don't believe so. Don't believe so, yeah. Of course, if you want to email us your thoughts on Season 5, or your thoughts on anything that happens at Comic-Con, you can send it to watchersofwesteros at gmail.com. So, uh, do that if you feel so inclined. That'll do it for us here This week, we'll be back after Comic-Con to talk about whatever comes out of that. So thank you, everybody, for listening. For the Watchers of Westeros, I'm Dominic. And I'm Kieran. And until next time, in the words of Samuel Tarly, I've been worrying about John for years. He always comes back.